This is the Crushing the Myth podcast produced by Talking Taiwan, and I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Crushing the Myth is an Asian-American speaker series featuring stories that make people listen, learn, and get inspired. This week's Crushing the Myth episode features a talk by Isra Nasser. Let's give it a listen. It was 7 p.m. on New Year's Eve 2014, and instead of being at home getting ready for a party I had later on that night, I was parked outside of a sketchy Motel 6 um, off the side of a highway exit um, in a suburb outside Toronto waiting for two police cars. And I was there because I was looking for someone. I was looking for somebody that I knew uh, as a mental health worker. And, you know, she was a young woman. She was Indian. And that night she was alone. She was homeless and she was suicidal. Hi, everyone. My name is Isra Nasser, and I'm a psychotherapist by training and a mental health advocate. And as an Asian woman, I am particularly interested in looking at how our Asian identity intersects with mental illness. And even though I work in mental health tech right now, I worked as a clinician for a few years in uh, in a town outside Toronto, um, which was predominantly South Asian. And, you know, I, I think I got that job because they were looking for South Asian clinicians because that area was experiencing really, really high rates of mental illness, of suicide, addiction and homelessness in that South Asian pocket. So in my clinical work, as well as my personal life, I've seen so many Asian families completely fall apart because of the denial that they have about mental illness and then the secrets that they keep around it. Um, You know, it's been so many years since that night at the Motel 6, but I've not really ever been able to fully forget about that woman. And I think it's because she and I were not very different, you know, Um, at least up until that point in life. She was a few years older than me. You know, she had a master's in education. She got good grades her entire academic life. She pursued one of the four acceptable professions for Asian women. She was a teacher. And, you know, she was on this path to success and stability. She honestly could have been like any one of us, right? But at some point, her life took a very drastic turn and went completely in the opposite direction. And I wonder a lot about how her life came to that point. And, you know, stories like hers really, really motivate me to take a closer and critical look at the way Asian families manage and deal with um, mental illness in their children, both their young kids as well as their adult children. And, you know, that's why I'm here. I'm here because I want stories like hers to stop being the norm in our communities. And I want the conversation about mental illness to change in Asian families. As Asians, we are very deeply connected to our family unit. We have very large family units, right? We have extended families. We have cousins. We have aunties and uncles. We have friends and neighbors who are kind of like part of that family unit. 
And so you have to think about the role that family plays. And so for this woman, right, what was the role that her family played in all of this? So her her issues began when she started exhibiting symptoms of mental illness, of severe OCD. But the problem really happened when her family just refused to acknowledge that the symptoms of her severe OCD were part of a health issue. They believed that this is something that she was doing on purpose. So her behaviors, the way it was looking physically, um, and the way she was socializing, all of that was changing, and they refused to accept this as a health issue. And this was something that they were ashamed of. They were ashamed of the way it was showing up. I mean, to the point where they would lock her up in her room when they had guests over at home um, because they were worried that this would reflect badly on the family within their community. And they were worried about how this would impact her marriageability. So things went from bad to worse at home and she ultimately ended up having to leave. And managing an untreated mental illness while being newly homeless is deeply challenging. So her mental health became even worse. And she, you know, ended up losing her job. And then she was living in and out of motels and shelters. And she even got arrested a few times because she was caught stealing food at a grocery store. You know, and by the time I met her, she had been living on the streets for two years. And, you know, you think about how somebody's life gets to that point where it's so many problems. And I know, you know, her story sounds like it's so exaggerated that maybe I've taken like pieces of different stories and rolled them into this one. But this is truly this is one person's story. And even though it's an extreme story, it's an important story to tell because it really shows what the potential for disaster is when our families refuse to accept mental illness as a health issue and when our families reject and abandon us in our time of need in the name of culture or in the name of honor. The research about Asian communities and mental illness shows a couple of interesting trends. So on the one hand, the number of reported mental illness in Asian American communities is fairly low compared to Euro-Americans. So in Asian communities, you see the number range from between 5 to 12 percent based on the community that you're looking at. Um, and then the number of people who use mental health services, that number for Asians is also low. Asian Americans are three times less likely to use mental health services compared to the general U.S. population. And, you know, on the forefront, that makes sense. You have a low number of people who report a mental illness, so you have a low number of people who are using that service. So it seems like mental illness is not an Asian community problem. But the numbers become interesting when you look at other social issues. In fact, it's actually problematic how much mental illness shows up in domestic violence calls or in child abuse calls. So, for example, in 2017, according to the Office of Minority Health, the number one cause of death, the leading cause of death in young Asian Americans was suicide. Think about that. 
right? And that number hasn't drastically changed since 2017. So obviously, this is a problem that affects Asian Americans and the Asian American community. The issue is that we don't report it, and so we don't get treatment for it. And that's because we don't like to talk about it. And that is the most important thing that I would want anybody who's watching this to walk away with, is that we need to start talking about mental illness within our families as a health issue, as a health concern. And that's really how we are going to start to move the needle away from shame and stigma and secret to being something that's openly accepted and something that is managed well. Right. Um, so if you think about the woman in my story and you think about her family, how different would her life have been if her family had accepted her mental illness as a health issue and had supported her in her mental health recovery? Chances are she would not have ended up homeless and suicidal alone in a motel. Right. And I'm not saying that the family caused this. That's a really important distinction to make. The point I'm making is, as Asians, we have these large family networks, and these family networks can be really protective towards the person who has a mental illness. So we have extended families, we have um, cousins and aunties and uncles, right? We can use these resources to support somebody in their mental illness journey uh, towards recovery, and this can be hugely protective and protect that individual from the challenges and the difficulties that come with having a mental illness, right? This can be something that can benefit somebody. But when you take away that resource, when you take away that relationship, you are essentially making the consequences even worse. So our family support has the power to change the entire direction of someone's life. Right. If you give the family support, you can have that person stay on the path of stability. But if you take it away, it's almost like throwing that person's life into chaos. Right. And unfortunately, the way Asian families deal with mental illness is through silence um, and through denial. And the cultural stigma around mental illness is so strong that it often goes unreported, untreated and completely misunderstood. And so social research has shown, studies have shown that in Asian communities, the mental illness is seen as a problem that exists in that person because of something. So, for instance, studies have shown that the person who has the mental illness in the family is seen as contaminating the family unit or that predominantly the belief is that the person who got the mental illness did something, and so this is a punishment from God, um, or that it is seen as the person having a character flaw, that there's something inherently wrong with them, that they have some kind of weakness, that they're not able to manage life. And all of these things combined really prevent somebody from talking about their pain and their illness until it's too late. And I really believe that it doesn't have to be like that. 
I believe that we are able to change the cultural perspective on mental illness by having open and honest dialogues with our family members, with the elders in our community, with our aunties and uncles, with our parents, helping them understand how mental illness is a health issue, answering their questions, uh, doing some myth busting, right? But we can't do any of that if we don't talk about it. And we can even talk about our own experiences, our own experiences with mental health and with mental illness, right? To really show them that this is a problem that impacts Asian people too. This is not a white people thing, right? And we can talk about our own experiences with younger cousins and family friends so that they know that there's a safe space where we can talk about these things and they can get support before it's too late, before their lives are derailed and their health worsens, right? And, you know, we talk about mental illness being a uh, something that, you know, Asian people don't talk about. This is not a part of our culture. But culture is just a series of stories that we have created about ourselves and that's embedded in our lives, right? So I believe that we are the collective authors of the stories that make up our culture. And so we have the power to change the stories that we tell about mental illness by having open conversations and talking about it. You know, I actually didn't end up finding that woman that night and I never saw her again. So I don't know what happened to her. But what I do know is that her story did not need to be like this. Um, you know, I, I leave you with a very powerful quote by Haruki Murakami from Norwegian Wood. And in that, one of the character asks, what happens when people open their hearts? And to that, the other character, Reiko, replies, they get better. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Crushing the Myth, visit www.crushingthemyth.com and their YouTube channel, which features video clips of all of their speakers' talks. If you enjoy listening to the stories of interesting people, check out my other podcast, Talking Taiwan. And if you love what we're doing with Crushing the Myth, let your friends know about the Crushing the Myth podcast. Or better yet, write us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It will help get Crushing the Myth discovered.